Hello! Welcome to Gifts of the Weird. I'm John Hyatt. I'm Lane Delaney. And today we have a special guest, Hawk Heimdalsman. Welcome, Hawk. Thanks, guys. How y'all doing? Excellent. We are doing great. We are so excited to have you joining us as our first on-air guest. Our first official guest. My pleasure. It's great. Yeah. It's it's really awesome to have you on because your music is so... It's, it's really cool music, and I'm really, really enjoying it. So thank you for uh, being willing to come on board and talk with us. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, very engaging and energetic. It's good stuff. Okay. So... Kind of what I was hoping for, but, uh, you know, it's kind of what I was going for in, in the studio. I mean, I've been making music and, you know, playing all sorts of different types of music for the past, oh, 20-something years. Everything from classical to jazz to metal to country to, you know, I mean, I've, I don't know how many John Philip Sousa marches I've played in my time. <laughs> Some, there comes a point where you want to write something that's that's meaningful but fun at the same time. Right. That's quite a, a breadth of music genre that you're involved with, from classical to metal and everything in between. How does that come about? With well, how does that come about? You know, in the beginning, I was a saxophone player. I, I was well, actually, no. In the beginning, I was a flute player. I, in sixth grade, I you had the choice between learning an instrument or I don't remember what the other choice was, but I decided to learn how to play the flute. And I played the flute for about a year and a half until in the middle of seventh grade. The band director pulled me aside and said, "You know." We got a lot of flute players, and we don't have a lot of saxophone players. How'd you like to play saxophone? And I kind of oh. said, sure. And you know, a couple years later, I'm, I'm you know playing clubs and on Sunset Boulevard with with uh, with a ska punk band. Mm-hmm. One of the guys, a couple of guys I knew from my 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 uh, biology class needed a saxophone player, so I went. I was jamming with them. I was playing in the marching band, playing in the high school jazz band, playing in the, the concert band. So I mean, in, in the space of one day, I'd be playing. Tchaikovsky and Charlie Parker, and then going to going to a club and playing, you know, playing original tunes. Mm. And, you know, I was having fun. As a saxophone player, I actually went to the University of Southern California, the Thornton School of Music. And, you know, I was accepted to, to, to study specifically music education, but with a focus in classical saxophone. And while I was there, I started writing orchestral music, and I started really de- delving into composition and I was. I learned guitar and started playing in metal bands and learned bass and started playing in other bands and, you know, I was just I was making music left and right and having a blast doing it, you know. And that was, gosh, I graduated in two thousand three, so that was what thirteen, fourteen years ago. Longer ago than I like to think about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been a it's been a been a journey. You know, covered covered a lot of territory since I uh, since I, uh, I I graduated, but you know, I've I've been. You know, making music is not one of those pursuits where you can honestly say, I have learned one piece by Bach, therefore I am done with music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could spend a lifetime studying Bach, and it would be a glorious lifetime. But for me, I mean, I want to study Bach, and I want to study Beethoven, and I want to study heavy metal, and I want to study country, and I want to become, you know, an amazing mandolin player. And I want to learn lap steel. And I want to learn this. And I want to learn that. And like, there's, I'm, I'm in my living room right now. And within, within about two feet of me on either side, there's four different instruments. Just, wow. just walking around. I've got a, I've got a Gretsch. I've got a, 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 a semi hollow body guitar. I've got a ukulele. I didn't even see the saxophone behind the Gretsch. And I got two basses on the other side of me. 
Oh my gosh, what's a Gretsch? Uh, yeah, that's what I was wondering too. Uh, a Gretsch is a a, a brand of guitar. They're, oh. they're commonly known oh. for semi hollow body guitars. Okay. Um, like Chet Atkins plays a Gretsch or played a Gretsch. I think he's he's no longer with us. Like like Elvis Presley had that that kind of style of guitar. Okay, okay. all right. Electric, but like it's like a, a jazz body guitar. Nice. Wow, <laughs> sounds really great. To have all of those just around you, that must be like having friends around you all the time. On the on the rare occasion where I get some downtime and I just want to like throw a movie in or something, I'm usually I've got a, at least one or two instruments nearby, just you know sit there, you know watching watching Captain America, and I'll be just just noodling, playing guitar, working on working on ideas, and usually twenty thirty minutes into the film, I've stopped paying attention to the film because I'm like I like this riff, I'm going to keep working on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think I read in one of the website things about you, Hawk, is that you play 12 instruments? Um, or do you play more? Or is that just a little uh, license, poetic license or uh, exaggeration for fun? That may actually be an under, underestimate. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's the thing. There's play and there's play well. Right. <laughs> it's true. Okay. I can play piano. I can't really play piano well, but like if I'm working on a on a film score or doing something in the studio, I can I can get the idea in and then clean it up so it sounds good. Mm-hmm. If you ask me to go out and play a Mozart piano concerto, the answer would be oh hell no. <laughs> I, I I have friends that can do that that are that are that good, but that's you know piano I, I dabble in, but it's not really a focus. Same with like ukulele. I've I've got one. I played every now and then. I actually did some recording with a ukulele earlier today. It's a lot of fun, but it's not something that I'm a, a ukulele virtuoso. Uh huh. How fun! Uh, so, what are you a virtuoso on? What what calls to you? What what do you know you can always go to? Um, I'm That's really true. good at guitar, and I'm really good at bass. Excellent. Um, I don't know if I would use the word virtuoso to describe any of my right. instrumental skills. I'm a really solid, really good bass player, and I'm a really solid, really good guitar player, and I I can play. I mean, I'm better than than a lot. But I've also like I've got friends that can play circles around, you know, and it's it's kind of fun that way because I go see my friend Chai play when he's in town, and I'm I'm studying his playing, and I'm learning from him as he's playing, and then we'll get together, hang out in the studio, work on a song together, and you know maybe I'll show him a couple ideas, and he'll show me some ideas, and you know we keep learning from each other. Well, and that's I mean that's the truth in just about anything that people learn is that there's. Almost always somebody who's better at you than that are better at you at any one particular thing, no matter how good you are at it. And, you know, they can learn from each other. So, yeah. Hawk, what do you find is your easiest instrument to play? Hmm. That's... Would that be your guitar or bass because you're so comfortable with them? Or do you find one that you prefer to play over the other? Well, when you say easy to play... That's 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 almost a misleading question, because okay. none, none of them uh, are, are easy. And like, look, guitar is guitar is my my main instrument. My guitar guitar is my focus. But okay. as I'm playing, I'm always trying to like expand what I can do. I'm always trying to push myself harder. I'm trying to to get get faster and cleaner and do more more intricate you know playing and to write more intricate music. But at the same point, make it make it interesting. And you know, I don't want to be there's uh, there's math metal bands out there that I've heard that you know I'm in awe of their technical prowess, but I'm completely uninspired by what they've chosen to do with their technical prowess. Mm-hmm. They're they're really fast and really intricate, but you know 
the important thing for me is always to play something that's worth hearing. Right. You know, if I'm going to write a song, I mean, for every for every album of ten songs that I put out, I've probably written about a hundred songs that I didn't release. Oh my gosh! Wow. You know, and, and well, these days my 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 songwriting output has has it's gotten smaller because I've I've gotten to the point where I can like two verses in realize this song is not worth pursuing and I'll stop working uh-huh. on it. You know, back in the day I wrote, wrote everything and I wrote it out in full and I, I would chart everything and, and then I would come back to it a month later and like, Nope, it's, it's, it was a good idea. It was good practice, but it's not something I need to spend time and money on recording and releasing. You know, it's, it's uh sometimes you gotta, you gotta make the tough, tough choices and sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta be your own biggest fan, but you also gotta be your own biggest critic too. Right. You know, I as as much as I can get up on stage and play a really good guitar show, I'm going to go home that night remembering the, you know, the seven mistakes that I made during one song that probably nobody else noticed. But, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that's like always, you know, how can I how can I do what I do and do it better? Mhm. I know a lot of performers that are like that hog. They always focus on what what errors they know they made even though no one else would know. It's common for all the performers that I know. And I do have to say that listening to the four albums that I have of you, I really appreciate the many different things that you do with your with your guitar work. You can do a tune like from your album Love Songs one way and then in a different song or a different album it's complete you have just a completely different style that is so awesome. Like Shores of Norway, I, I just really love the music that you do in there and then you go into something completely different, like on the album of No Mercy. There's a whole different style of music, and you, you, your different techniques is just really—it really keeps your music interesting to me. Is what I'm saying. Thank you. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I'm for me a lot of for, for a while. Like I didn't refer to myself as a as a guitar player or a singer song or as a you know singer or a guitar or a um, you know multi instrumentalist. Or whatever. I referred to myself as a songwriter. Because I was really focusing more on crafting the song and making sure mm-hmm. that it worked, as opposed to, you know, I mean, some 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 bands they're like we are a metal band. We only play specifically Indiana-based doom metal with a <laughs> slight Northern Tennessee influence. You know, some bands are like that, and that's cool. That's, that's their great. thing. And like, I'll, I'll listen to their CDs. I'm like, dude, awesome. But for me, it's about creating the song. Whether that's a song in a flamenco style or country or hip hop influenced death metal with a, I don't know, Indonesian flavor. You know, it's, it's all about creating a good song and sometimes it works and sometimes it don't, you know, but it's sometimes it's more important just to try and see what happens. Yeah. So when did you write your first song or how do you remember that? When you're like 10 or something, and all of a sudden you just penned this thing out? Or um, did that come a little bit later? Well, I remember in sixth grade, Almost we, 10. we had to write a couple songs in our music class. And so I wrote a song about a food fight, and I wrote a song called uh, The Johnny Connor Blues. It was about Terminator 2. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. I'm fairly certain there are no copies of these anywhere in existence. I don't have copies of them. I'm kind of glad about this. Um, (laughs) 
But I started writing a lot of lyrics when I was in high school, and I kept giving them to the, the singer, singer guitar player for the ska band I was in. And you know he always, he always look at him and he would like it was always like no this is this is not quite right for us but I just I would keep writing and keep writing and keep writing, and then when I got to college and bought my first guitar and cause could actually sing and play at the same time, that's when I really started writing. That's when I really started, you know, trying to put chords and vocals together. Because I, mean, I, I was playing saxophone, which is which is a fun melody instrument and it's it's great in a band setting. But I can't play two notes at the same time, which means I can't do chords, which means creating harmonies and, and the structure of music was was hard for me to really grasp in a practical setting. But once I can start playing chords and start singing along, that's when I really started becoming a, a songwriter. Mm-hmm. I started writing just song after song after song after song, I'm trying to remember the first song i wrote in that period um i'm pretty sure none, none of the songs from from that that part of my uh my writing career ever got released i think I, I've, I've probably got a couple cassette tapes somewhere with old demos on them but you know those those are things that will never see the life of day while i'm still breathing mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that will be in the posthumous album after you've passed away in 50 more years you know uh-huh. or 60 years you know, if I ever make it to the kind of level of, of Willie Nelson's success or, you know, the Kurt Cobain success, you know, the, uh, Nirvana or, or the, the record label, I should say, like they found some demo tapes that he recorded in a bathroom somewhere. And it's new album from Nirvana, you know, Kurt Cobain, right. rare, exclusive, you know, and there's people that'll buy him. Yeah, and that's true. Probably listen to it once and go, wow, that was you know, a snapshot into his life when he was recording in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. I, some things have re- become relatively famous that are like that. I mean, it's not musical, but, you know, think literary. Uh, Tolkien's Silmarillion was never intended to be published. It was a collection of notes that he had on his own world for the purposes of keeping consistency in his writing. But uh, after his death, it was they were gathered up and published. And, I mean... Certainly not as popular as his other works, but they're well. It's still well known outside of you know outside of a loyal fan base too. Yeah. So it's interesting seeing some of that stuff sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And and there there's some bands I love that you know if I can get their you know the 1984 radio sessions collection they did when they were they were unsigned and just some guy said hey I've got a studio come track a couple songs you know and see what happens you know I yeah. I have those albums for some of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. And it's like like buying a live album too. I mean, some some people love live albums, some people hate them. For me, it's like hearing like, okay, so I've heard the studio album. What are, what are they going to do when they can't record multiple parts each? When they can't, you know, stop and redo if they make a mistake? How do they sound live? What it, you know? What's the the real performance? And sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes you know, you listen to it once and you put it in file, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'll admit, I, I used to be a really big fan of unfinished, unpolished music. Mm-hmm. I used to love getting demo tapes of bands that I'd heard studio, big studio albums of and uh, listening to them because there was always an element there that ends up getting taken out in the production, even if it's, oh, what's the word? I mean, I was going to say gritty, but that doesn't necessarily apply. Even if it's just not as well put together, there is a personal element and an energy to it that's always lost when when you start applying, you know, big time big time production type stuff to it. I've noticed. So, yeah, 
there's a fine line between producing and overproducing. Right. You know, I, I've been doing a lot of producing of, of different bands, you know, from, oh, from scratch to from zero to, to finish. You know, sometimes I'm writing the songs with them. Sometimes they bring the songs to me and I just give them some ideas, you know, try this, try this, try that, and I'll go in the studio and record. I've actually been, get, been getting a lot of work as a mixing engineer lately. And it's trying to find the right balance to where the song speaks true, but also where you've established enough technique and enough, you know, solidity to make it work musically. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, punk bands are notorious for going in the studio, being sloppy, not being together, kind of sounding raw and, and just sounding poor. That's what they're going for. You know, they want yeah, that yeah. raw sound. Metal bands have got to be tight. They, they're, mm. they have to be technically proficient first. Because when you're playing fast and intricate, you know, you're playing, you know, Metallica or Slayer, you know, those kind of very fast, very intricate bands, you've got to be, you got to be tight. Because if you're not tight, it sounds terrible. It sounds sloppy, it sounds bad, which for a punk song might work, but for a metal song, it doesn't. Hmm. That is interesting. Behind the curtain with Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, Hawk, one of the neat things about your music is you... You also blend in your personal spiritual practices and of heathenry. Mm-hmm. How how did that kind of come about? Where that's how that's one of your musical expressions that you wanted to to use. Well, you write what you know, you know, and and generally the songs that speak the truest are going to be the ones that you've had a personal personal experience with, a personal connection to. You know, I was I was talking to a, to a friend of mine recently, another songwriter and singer, and you know, we've we've worked on a couple of songs together, and we've done done a bunch of recording together. But we, I started playing her a couple songs that I've been working on, and you know, I've been trying I, every now and then I write say political songs, you know, social commentary, mm-hmm. and I was trying to write a song about uh, racial inequality, mm-hmm. and I wrote like. I don't know how many different drafts, and I kept coming, I kept looking at them and realizing this sounds like a white man is trying to make a commentary about other races. And I just realized that this, you know, what I was trying to do wasn't working. Right. You know, because I'm so, let's face it, I'm a white dude who, you know, grew up in a in a fairly quiet middle class uh, environment. I haven't, you know, well. I was going to say I haven't been, you know, harassed by the cops, but yeah, that that may have happened a couple of times. <laughs> well, you are a musician. I mean, yeah, you know, some 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 cops they see a guy with long hair and a leather jacket, and they're like, "Hey, let's rough him up some." But going back to you know spiritual songs, religious songs, you know, that's something that's very important to me, and mm-hmm. part of you know, you know, you write what you know. You know, songs about Odin and Heimdall and the gods ring true for me. You know, those are those are the songs that I can I can write and sing that are going to work better for me to, to, to write and sing them. I've always tried to be well, for the most part I've always tried to be very subtle with with, with um, including that. I, mm-hmm. I for a while there was you know there was the explosion of Scandinavian uh, Viking metal bands. And I bought a lot right. I listened to a lot of those bands for a while, but I got tired of every other song being, you know, Thor, he's got a big hammer. And he hits giants with it because it's a big hammer. And yes, Thor, big hammer, raw. 
Yeah. And I'm like, well, yes, Thor does have a hammer, and yes, it's, you know, big and, and hits things, but, you know, give me something deeper. Tell me about the father of Thrut, the husband of Seif. Tell me about the guy who goes out for a journey with two goats and a, a little brother and sister and says, you know what, let's go have an adventure. Yeah. So tell me about the guy who blesses the crops and says, you know what, I want my people to, to succeed. I want their crops to grow. I want the rains to fall so they can eat this winter. You know, give me, give me something, give me something deep. So if I'm, I'm writing a song about say Odin, I'm, I'm asking myself, you know, who is he? What is, what is his character? Tell me, go below the surface. Cause you know, I could write a song, Odin, he's got a spear and a horse with eight legs. And he rides on that horse while he's carrying his spear. Or I could tell you that Odin is the father of Balder. And Odin, you know, his son was killed. And he was so grief-stricken that he sent one of his, his men to the gates of hell to, Hela, name your price so I can have my son back. Mm-hmm. And they went through the whole world trying to get everyone to weep tears for Balder. You know, the, the, the grief and the fatherly love, I mean, that's... You can go for miles as a writer just on that subject. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I've, I've written many songs about that. And, you know, they, they tend to ring true because you're going below the surface and really trying to write something deeper. Now, for the, the current band I'm with, Black Hat Society, mm-hmm. we're trying to, to get more of a, a mainstream audience. You know, because, uh, you know, there, there is a part of me that, you know, I would like to sell a million records. Right. You know, that's... I would like to have a, a platinum record on my wall someday from having sold a million records and, and you know, the money that comes with it because I can keep making music and buying instruments. And, but I was, we were looking at ways to still tell good stories, uh-huh. but also write a song so that a heathen is going to know it's about Thor, but an average, you know, a normal person on the street is going to say, hey, there's a song about a guy who was hiking and he stepped on a rattlesnake and he got bit. And, you know, he was, thought he was dying, but he said, give me the strength to walk nine steps and I'll die like a man. Oh. Which that song may or may not be on the next Black Cat Society album. Hopefully that'll, that'll be out sometime this, uh, this summer. Excellent. You know, I, I try to be subtle about the stories that I'm telling when I'm bringing the gods in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The moment you, in, in the mainstream world... You know, let's face it, the moment you define it as religious music, you're limiting your, your target audience. Very true, yeah. And, and putting a lot of expectations from other people saying, hey, you know, this isn't yeah, based enough on the, the lore or it doesn't, you're tweaking it too much and stuff like that. So it's kind of... Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and there's always... Every, what, two, three months on, on Facebook, on all the different groups, somebody pops up saying, hey, has anyone heard this band from Norway that sang a song called Odin Owns Y'all? You know, you got to listen to this because it's, you know, he's, he's, it's a song about Odin. I'm like, well, yes, but just because a song mentions Odin doesn't make it a good song. That's very true. true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, um, Manowar is, is one of my favorite bands, one of my big influences. And they've got songs about Odin, you know, left and right for days. Right. Some of their songs ring true. Some of their songs don't. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes when it comes to the gods, I mean, you know, there's one song where they talk about Odin going for a ride and demons rising up and this and that and like, wait, guys, you're mixing and matching. You know, pick one side and stick with it. You can't just like Odin and Satan don't go for for romps down down with the daisies. You know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at least as far as I know. I mean, I, it, who am I to tell Odin who he can or cannot hang out with? It, it, you know, ain't, ain't my decision. Ain't my business. But right. You know, yeah. some things some things just ring truer than others. Well, Hawk, what I'd like to do right now is play one of your songs, Raven Wings. And when we come back, I'd like you to talk a little bit about Raven Wings and the process going into it and what it means to you or what, what you hope people get from it. Sure.
Raven Wings from the album No Mercy for the Slain. I've just got to say, it's got a really great introduction coming in, and then it just goes right into the song. Tell us a little bit about that process of creating this song, but then also kind of what goes into your process of creating um, music. Well, Raven Wings, that's an inter- That's kind of a, a storied song. Back in college, I was in a band called Mithreal. That's M-Y-T-H-R-E-A-L, Mithreal. Okay. It was kind of folk metal. We had a couple of guitar players. I played some bass. Um, we went through a, a number of drummers, and we, at one point we had a fiddle player, but we never, we're never really, we never actually played a gig because we could never maintain a stable lineup long enough to actually get to a show. But we had a song called Forevermore that I was trying to write something kind of in the vein of Iron Maiden. You know, we had this, you know, nice little melody, and we had, um, you know, we played some harmonies with it, and we kind of just, just rocked out to it. And played that song for a while, and then I, I did the first the, the Love Songs album. We just every, That band disintegrated. A couple of years later, I was put doing the No Mercy for the Slain album. The old drummer from Israel was playing with me at the time, and you know he's like, yeah, dude, remember that song Forevermore? I want to bring that one back. And so we started playing with it again, and I completely rearranged the music and just added, added a couple minutes of extra music to it because it, it was too short to... It didn't really say what I wanted to say musically. And then came a point where I was just singing the song, and I'm like, you know, the words just don't, they don't speak true anymore. And so I completely rewrote the, uh, the lyrics. And I, I'd been, a, uh, a friend of mine had told me about, I think it was an Iceland, it was either a Norwegian or Icelandic proverb, where people used to say, keep the ravens on your right. And it was supposed to be good luck and travel. If, if you were setting out on a journey, and you see the ravens are flocking on your right side, it's a good omen. And if they're playing on your left side, just turn around, head home, start again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because the left side is, it's going to, it's going to end badly. Yeah. So I started playing around with that, that idea as a chorus, keep the ravens on your right, never let them out of sight. You know, all these thoughts and memories look you up on Raven Wings. Thought and memory obviously is a reference to, to Odin's ravens. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I had this chorus and just kept working on it and verses... And it was kind of just stream of conscious, you know, I, I, I live in, in L.A., and we always used to joke that it's the, the city of fallen angels. Right. Um, it is, you know, La Cuida de la Reina de los Angeles is literally the city of the Queen of Angels, which ultimately gets abbreviated down to two letters, L.A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, be it ever so smoggy, there's no place like home. Uh, oh. <laughs> but, yeah, so we just kind of rewrote it, and it took me about six months to, to teach everyone else in the band to start calling it Raven Wings and stop calling it Forevermore. <laughs> uh, so we recorded it, and you know, we had all the guitars done, we had the, the violin done. And I actually met a guy named Ben, who was a student at a local music school where I did, did some work at. And just randomly on MySpace, he posts pictures of him playing uh, Illin Pipes. And I'm like, dude, are you, you any good? He's like, yeah, come on over. I'll play for you. So I, so I swing by his apartment, and he, he plays, 
plays the pipes for me. I'm like, well, listen, listen to this song. You think you could you could play uh, play these melodies with us? And so he came by the studio and he just he jammed out for a couple hours and we had a good time and that was kind of it. And we kind of uh, had a song out of it. Wow, that's really great. And it is a great piece as well. I, I, it's one of the ones I like the most on um, No Mercy for the Slain, but I also like Nothing But Regrets and SOB. I mean, SOB is just really a fun, fun, fun song. Yeah. So, um, Nothing But Regrets was a love song I wrote for, uh, for a girl I, I dated. The uh, other one, SOB was... I, I wanted to write a song about Odin that was a little tongue-in-cheek. And I, I actually just had just started writing, riding a motorcycle at the time. So I was like, you know, I was having fun going out there in the hills. And I've always found there, there to be a, a spiritual side to riding motorcycles. And I may be the only person that ever has come up with this, but I would almost kind of trance out as I'm riding through traffic. And I, you know, for a while I was trying to like, I would almost like achieve a, a precognitive state. Like I could see when cars were about to cut in front of me and just would move in advance. But you know, when, when you're going 80 miles an hour with the wind in your hair and possible death like three, four feet away from you with all these other giant SUVs and, and Prius drivers who aren't paying attention, it puts you in a, in a heightened state. And you know, I, I would kind of talk to the All Father while I was doing that. That makes sense. It makes total sense. Oh, no, it was it was uh, it was an experience. And so mm-hmm. I, I kind of envisioned you know the All Father as. You know, kind of a, a crusty old bike riding, you know, guy. <laughs> you know, picture him with a leather jacket and a Harley Davidson and a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a glint in his one eye and, and you know, show up to, to a bar, have a couple shots of whiskey and, and just the kind of guy who's going to ride and not care. He's going to ride and see what happens. Ride all the way to the ocean and, and see the sun sink and keep on riding. So that was, that was SOB. Yeah. A lot of fun. That's that's a fun song. I really like it a lot. Now that you tell a little bit of the backstory, I kind of envisioned that sort of stuff already, but now it makes even more sense with um, with, with the backstory to it. So next time I hear it, I'm going to have that whole new that whole additional perspective on it, which is going to be great.
Oh yeah. So we always used to joke. We played that song live a bunch, and I always used to uh, to dedicate it to my my neighbors because we we would rehearse in my garage, and and the neighbors would usually wind up calling the cops because we were playing so loud. <laughs> and so yeah, I'll dedicate this one to my neighbors. You know, it's kind of an autobiographical one, and I know my neighbors are always calling me son of a bitch, and we kick <laughs> kick right into it. But uh, yeah. Sometimes you got to have a little fun at your own expense. Yeah, absolutely. One of your favorite songs is Ghosts of the Open Road. Play that. We'll come back, let you talk about that, okay? All right, sounds good. Joshua Tree said she wanted to spend some time with me So I got in my truck and I hit the road I missed the turn off, kept on driving Heading for the open skyline A desert was calling me home Time stood still, the miles passed by The stars flew across the sky The sun rose and set again Destination, an object of fascination. Embrace the sun and the pouring rain. I'll be dancing when the stars start falling from the sky. I'll be dancing to songs about the likes of you and I. I'll be dancing when the iron towers all corrode. I'll be dancing. Dancing, dancing with the ghosts of the open road So offer me money for my soul i 
continental divide Found a food shack by the roadside I stopped for some fried bread The Navajo waitress said good day Said I'd best be on my way We serve the living, not the dead I put my truck back into drive this one so precious to you or, or why do you like it so much what makes it so special well a lot of things you know it's it's uh it's one of one of our favorite songs to play with black hat society we shot a music video for it it was a, a lot of fun i mean if uh you get a chance it's, it's up on our, our youtube page but uh you can see like i'm driving a truck through the angeles national forest and i've got like a plastic mm-hmm. dashboard odin sitting there you can see a little horn swinging back and forth and you know, oh, that's great. We have uh, had a lot of fun. We actually strapped a couple cameras to my, my pickup truck and just literally had me driving for, for a couple miles at a time. We'd, we'd pull over to the side of the road and reconfigure the cameras, and it was a lot of fun. Um, musically, it actually started out as a song called Seven Shades Short. I'd written a song that was playing words a little bit about, you know, about an ex-girlfriend, and it got to the point where I realized I just didn't want to sing about her anymore. Mm-hmm. It was just like every time we went to, to to work on it, I'm like, you know, just ain't working lyrically. I like the music, you know. Uh, Karen, my fiddle player, was writing some awesome fiddle parts, and the guitar solo turned out really nicely, but the lyrics, it didn't work. So I kind of jumped into kind of like a, a weird tale, but in music, I'm a big fan of of uh, the weird tales genre. You know, kind of the old mm-hmm. old fiction from the uh, from the 30s and 40s. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Love Robert E. Howard and L. Sprague de Camp and reading Mark Ashton Smith. Yeah. Oh yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Once once you filter out the 1920s Texas racism, which oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just true. Kind of have to throw that caveat in there because some people get the wrong idea. But brilliant stories. So I started mm-hmm. trying to craft a story about just getting in the truck and driving. My my sister actually does live in Joshua Tree, so it was like driving out there to see her, but kept on going, and just kept on going, kept on going to see what what would happen. You know, I the the bridge is definitely a a, a shout out to the old blues legend about selling your soul at the crossroads. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, offer me money for my soul, offer me blues fame, a lofty goal, and it's the sort of thing. I'm just you know, offer me whatever you want. The answer is always going to be no, because I'm just too busy out here making music and loving life, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, I kind of, for the, for the, the, the conclu- concluding verse, 
you know, it, it kind of reveals that the singer is not is is actually a ghost himself. Oh, spent so much time, yeah. you know, part of you dies, but part of you comes back to life. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. And there's a you know ravens and 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 good times in there. Great stuff. Well, thanks for sharing about that. So, you know, it, it might be a little bit off topic, but I have a question for you in relation to the... It's just the name of the song that evoked that for me and the fact that you talked about all the time you spent on the road on the motorcycle. I know a lot of people who have seen ghosts on the open road. This is not an uncommon thing. Is You know, you get to that kind of... I don't know if it's half asleep, but you get into a different state while you're driving and you've been driving and you see people on the road. And, uh, you know, I've known people who have swerved to avoid them before and that that doesn't go well because they're not actually there. Mm -hmm. But I just wondered if I'm always curious if other people have run into that same thing. So in a sense, yes. In a sense, no, not in the the literal like as in I I see somebody in front of me. I've I've spent a lot of I I have a pickup truck as well um, as a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. I've actually I think I spent more time driving the truck than I have the uh, the bike because I've I've driven across America three, four times just in that pickup truck. Mm-hmm. You know, the first couple times I went by myself, and I just I camped out in the in the in the camper shell, and you know I I would I wake up when the sun came up and go to bed when you know, pull off to the side of the road when the sun went down, and you know just keep on driving and seeing what I could see, and having you know some of these these back roads that I've driven down, sometimes you you see things that you know you're not even sure you really just saw that. And oh. even just driving across, you know, even with a map where you know that, like, I'm driving through through the Badlands, and I know that this is where the Badlands are, but sometimes, you know, sometimes just seeing what's actually there is as much of a trip as seeing something that's not. Interesting. Something about you is that you consider yourself a Heimdall's man. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I, I take it that means that Heimdall is... Very important to you and likely you to him. How did that come about? Well, when I was uh, when I was just a wee wee heathen, everyone starts off, you know, brand new to heathenry, and you read the books, you read the lore, and you start thinking about the gods. And usually, the first two gods that people look into are either Odin or Thor <laughs> or sometimes Freya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, Frigga too, but like those are the big the big few. And, you know, as, as a new heathen, you know, I was like, I was like, Odin, he's awesome. Like, let me learn from him and read all the stories and, and listen to the songs, you know, that describe him with a, a spear and a horse with eight legs. I'm like, this is awesome. But I started reading more and more and trying to get to know all the gods. You know, I kind of view it, view our faith. It's like going to a, going to a family reunion. You know, there are elder kin. You know, you show up to the, the hall where everyone's gathered, you go say hi to grandma and grandpa and you try and spend some time right. with them and you see mom and dad and the aunts and the uncles and the cousins and, you know, you, you try and make the rounds. But for me, I always usually wind up back in the kitchen with, uh, you know, with Uncle Bob, you know, hanging out, talking about, you know, flipping burgers and talking about dirty jokes and this and that and whatnot. <laughs> That's just, you know, how my family reunions tend to run. Same with the gods. You know, I have made a point to try and get to know as many of them as possible. And that's, that kind of opens up a whole spiritual can of worms. I mean, how do you get to know a god? Right. But, I mean, everyone's got different answers on that. I, I, I'm not, I don't want anyone to think I'm some kind of guru or authority on, on Heimdall. Because I'm definitely, mm-hmm. I don't consider myself to be one. But in my, in my faith journey, in my spiritual journey... 
he's been one of the guiding hands that's really left his imprint on. He's one of the, the gods that I look up to the most. He's my hero. He's kind of the guy that I try to, to emulate where possible. Obviously, I do need just a little bit more sleep than a hummingbird every night. <laughs> <laughs> At least I, I do. I, I Back in the day, I used to drink three four cans of Rockstar and Red Bull a day, and then I didn't need much. Getting a little older and trying to be a little more concerned about my health, I've had to let that go. But, I mean, Heimdall is... He's the guy that does the thankless tasks. He's the guy who works backstage to make sure that everyone else is safe and protected and is taken care of. You know, he's the guy that gets there early and does the dirty jobs and stays late to finish up. And that's that's how I've pretty much always been. A lot of my my I don't really have a day job, I freelance, but I've been I spent the past 11 years working with the LA Chamber Orchestra. They're they're a local orchestra. I've been their their backstage guy, their stage manager. I've I've worked with the musicians. I'm the guy who gets there early to set the stage and make sure that they walk in, they perform, they do their thing, and, and then and they're good to go. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's kind of you know that's 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 how I do things. You know, there's okay. there's a part of me that tries and helps you know helps the group out. You know, and, and that's and that's that's Heimdall. He's he's got that certain it's a combination of work ethic and personal personal virtue. You know, he's the guy that when Freya's necklace was stolen, he's the guy that goes on the journey to find the people responsible and, and set things right. Very true. He, he's that protector. As a god, we can look at the stories of what he's done. He's protects the, the gates of, of Asgard. He's the guy who, who helps out. You know, he watches over Freya. He's, he's the guy who goes and helps out get the necklace. He's got a bit of a smart... He's a bit of a smart ass sometimes, too. You know, Thor lost his hammer, and, and who was it who stood up and said, well, you know, Thor, here's a wedding dress. Go have fun. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Go get <Yeah>. it. <laughs> you know, he's he's the guy who taught us the runes. You know? That's true also. Very important. As deities go, you, you look at him as a protecting god, as mm-hmm. a god who leads by example. He's not one of the ones that says, well, yes, when somebody is in trouble, you should go help them. It's more of a, oh, somebody was in trouble. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'll be back in a few minutes. I need to go, go kick some ass. He's the guy who wants us as, you know, if, if we view the gods as our elder kin, mm-hmm. he's one of the gods that says, you guys have potential. Here's some tools. Take the tools and run with them. See what you can learn. Grow yeah. stronger. Be better. It's not that we are better, it's that we can be better that we all have the potential to keep growing and keep learning and keep driving and keep just pushing ourselves. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm a very honest person. I can look at myself in the mirror and I know where my weak areas are. I, you know, I've spent, I've spent years taking voice lessons, trying to look to be a better singer. Singing has always been one of my weakest areas. Mm-hmm. No, I'm doing Okay. I'm actually, I mean, I'm reaching a point where I, I really like how my voice is sounding, and people have been, like, industry people have been telling me they like what I'm doing. Yeah, from what I've heard from the albums, you sound great. Thanks. So, well, you're welcome. I spent a lot of time on that, and that's that's one of Heimdall's lessons. You know, it's not a matter of, you know, you spend five five minutes working on something and you're good. It's you spend a lifetime pursuing the things you need to pursue. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone 
Yeah, there, there's no... I, I, I'm hit or miss with the story of uh, the Rigasthul. Because you, you, it, it sets up the, the three the three tribes. You've got the thralls, right. the Yorls, and the Jarls, and then of course the king, the Conunger, comes out of that. Mm-hmm. I don't see us as being that distinct, you know, divisions in society. Some people do, some people don't. I mean, yes, we yeah. have a lower class, middle class, upper class, all that kind of stuff. But everyone has potential. I've seen people who were born in poverty, who had nothing, who are incredibly successful. But they, they, they knew what they needed to do. They pushed themselves. They would not take no for an answer, and they just kept on learning and kept on growing and kept on trying to achieve something. I worked with musicians who had so much talents that it was easy for them. I mean, I, I, I've, I've had to, I've really had to push myself as a musician all the time to get better. And I've got friends that just pick up an instrument and just like, oh, yeah, this is kind of dabble, and they're, they're already playing better. Yeah. Well, I will say that one thing, one thing about talent versus practice is that the folks who are very talented in something often end up falling behind a little bit just because it comes to them so easily, and they're not as used to doing the solid work to hone that talent. As somebody who has a few talents that I, I could stand to hone myself, I, I know that struggle personally. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a knack for something, it's harder to justify focusing as strongly on it to get better as when you're you're trying to overcome what you see as something you're not as good at. So Yeah. And that's and that's life. There's people that it's it's too easy for, they don't work at it, they don't appreciate it. Yeah. It's true. For me, like when I'm able to really nail something really hard and intricate on guitar, I'm aware of the blood, sweat and tears that have gone into it. Oh yeah, and I, you know, I, I I value it more, and that just drives me to work even harder and work even better, you know, and 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 just push myself. You know, it, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I've always heard people say that the only time you stop learning is when you're dead, and, and I'd hate to think that were actually true. Right. Because uh, I'm I'm hoping you know when I die if if uh, you know if Heimdall's got a place for me you know in in the in the big band he's got in him and Bjorg, sweet. You know, sign me up, mm-hmm. and uh, my my spouse has has specific instructions to bury me with one of one of my guitars, so I can take it with me. And, but yeah, that's that's you know that's Heimdall. He's that god that says you have potential, you have the tools. Go out and do something with it. Do you feel that you chose to follow him, or that he he chose you to um, step into your life or to to guide you? Yes. Okay. That's a good answer. Uh, well, let me let me let me clarify that. I I, I hate just giving a, a one word answer to right. a multifaceted question. When I first became a heathen, at the time, like I I I found the gods. I realized this was this was real. This is what I wanted to focus. What I wanted to how I wanted to live my life. You know, I was in college at the time, and of course, no one I knew had even heard about Satru. And so right. I went online. And I did. I was searching for it, and you know, and I found the Troths website. And I sent them an email. I'm like, hey, I'm brand new to this. Is there anyone in the L.A. area that I can talk to? And I, I got five, like, almost instant responses from some of the, you know, uh, Diana Paxson and Birgit Nord down in San Diego and, and Stefan Thorsen. Like, all of them emailed me almost immediately. And they're like, hey, welcome. Glad to know you. Yeah, there's no one in L.A. And wow. I was like, oh, you're kidding me. There's, there's 10, 12, 15 million people here. And you're telling right. me nobody. I, I'm I'm the only one, and then Birgit gets back to me and says, "Listen, there's no one in the troth. 
who's in L.A. But I know a guy named Scott, and he's out in Simi Valley. Okay. And here's his email address. So I, I email him, and we, we wound up emailing for about six months. We kept trying to, to meet up for, for a coffee. And it took us, you know, after six months, we finally were able to get together and, you know, shake hands. And he invited me to bloat with Heimdall's Little Kindred, which has been my kindred for the past... 16 years, 15 years, something or other. Gotcha. And it was like coming home. I walked in, they greeted me with open arms, and like, this is where I'm meant to be. But I looked at the name Heimdall's Lure Kindred. You know, I was still, I was still reading the lore and still learning about everything. I'm like, well, who is, who is Heimdall? So I went and looked him up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I asked Scott, why, why do we pick that name? Scott said, well, you know, we've, we've had the Kindred for about 10 years now, and at the time, there was Raven Kindred and Thor's Hammer Kindred and Hammer of Thor Kindred and Hammer Raven Kindred and Raven Hammer Kindred and Raven Thor Kindred. Right. And every, <laughs> I'm familiar with these. Uh... It was either some kind of combination of Raven and Hammer or Hammer Raven or Hammer Thor Raven or and he's like we want. Sometimes there's a metal thrown into. Sometimes it's Steel Hammer or Iron Hammer or Iron Raven or. Mm-hmm. And we wanted something different. And so they, and and there was a list of names. Some of them are very, very cruel jokes, and some of them were just kind of possibly not quite so serious, and some were, some were all right. And eventually, they decided on Heimdall's Lure Kindred. You know, because we, uh, you know, everyone in the Kindred felt felt pretty strongly about Heimdall as a. Not so. I don't want. I hate. I hate the term patron deity. Um, yeah. Okay. It's, it's it's a as I understand a very Greek term, but he's kind of been a lightning rod for a lot of us. He's kind of mm-hmm. that you know, we're we're all associated with him in some way. You know, he's a he's a teacher god, and a lot of us yes. work in education. A lot of us are teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's you know for me he's a musician. He plays lore. There's there was that connection. So. The name of the kindred kind of like led me on a, a chance to get to know him and to work with him and, and to have him as a guiding force in my life. Well, I cannot, I cannot ever claim to speak for the gods. I like to think that I've made him proud over the years. You know, I, I like to think so. You know. That's good. I'm sure you have, Hawk. Right. And the fact that you're representing him when there really are kind of so few people that do, then I, true. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, out there doing good things with his name attached to yours. That's good press. Absolutely. Yeah. I try. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, least, the least we can do, you know, to try and try and give a little something back to the, the ones who've given us so much. Absolutely. And I, frankly, but, I, I figure if I ever make him unhappy, he's going to let me know. They have their ways, don't they? Yeah, they do. <laughs> well, Hawk... We're losing you in the States. If you wanted to tell us what your future projects are or any shout-outs. Well, first of all, thank you, too, for having me on, giving me a chance to, to speak. I appreciate, appreciate the time and, and, and all the support over the years. Everyone who's listening, if you could check out Black Hat Society. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on iTunes and Amazon. We have a, a four-song EP out. Pick up a copy if you like it. Awesome. Appreciate the support. It, it's... Uh, I think it's only like three ninety nine on iTunes, so it's less than, than a it costs less than a decaf mocha with soy. <laughs> um, Good deal. We are we're working on getting a full length album out. The the, the full length album is going to be titled Doom Country, 
It's very, very Wild West, very outlaw. It's going to be a lot of fun. Excellent. That'll hopefully hopefully be out later this summer. I'm, I'm going to have to finish the album when I'm over in Germany, but that's mm-hmm. and that'll depend on how fast the shipping companies get all my gear over there to me. When that's done, we're gonna we've, we've got plans to start a uh, another album after that, and then I'm gonna try and work on a solo album. I've done solo albums before, and they're they're a lot of fun. Sometimes it's, it's a real nice chance to do something really different and just completely recharge the batteries. You know, I've been been dabbling with some ideas, and you know, we'll see what happens. It might be awesome, and if it's not, I might not release it. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's gonna be awesome. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be Hawk. Yeah, you're going to a land of great music and great inspiration. So This is true. This is very true. Oh, and anyone who's listening, hawk.bandcamp.com. I've got two albums for free download. You can just, just go in. You know, It has, it has a, a pay-what-you-want option. You can put in zero if you want, and you can put in more than zero if you want. But I've got uh, the last two albums of the old band, Anthems for an Age Arriving and Apple Blossoms and Abandoned Tracks. Those were, uh, you know, Anthems has always been one of my favorite favorite albums. That was a okay. very, uh, it was a, half the songs were very, very Odin-based, and the other half, I actually wrote a lot of songs about Other and Freya. Oh. Which was, that was, interesting. that was an experience, trying to delve into the mind of, of Other, the guy who packed up, left, and said, you know, I ain't coming back. Yeah, what what? And, and how do you really get into into that uh, that mindset? And of whom we don't know a lot about, really. This is this is true. Well, it's there are actually a lot of sources that mention him, but not very many of them are are in the Icelandic source material. Right. It's mentioned pretty heavily in uh, in Saxo Grammaticus, mm-hmm. and then actually Victor Rydberg wrote a lot about him. And I, I know Victor Rydberg is is a questionable source for a lot of things. But the fact that he was able to pull so much of him out of other sources makes me want to look at those sources and figure out where did he get this from. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that leads to to new understandings. Well, yeah, we'll we'll definitely put that up on our site when we post the show, hawk.bandcamp.com. And also blackhatsociety.bandcamp.com is a good one, too. In case we'll get them both up there. Don't like you know iTunes or Amazon or any of those. It's a great place to get music from. We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast for these announcements. This is Jan, and I'm dropping these announcements in prior to the last song that we play, so that you can enjoy the entire song without interruption. This podcast was recorded last May 2016, prior to Hawks leaving for Germany. In the move, he left behind a quantity of CDs to be managed for any who wish to purchase them in the U.S. The four CDs that I have copies of are No Mercy for the Slain, Lamentations, Love Songs, and Lift Thrasher, and two EPs to hear the trumpets call and Hard Lemonade. As a special offer for Gifts of the Weird listeners, Hawk is offering all four of those CDs for the low price of $25 including first-class shipping. The package normally would sell on his website, all for $35. Most of the songs that were played on today's podcast are from these four CDs. Please email giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. That's 
G I F T S O F T H E W Y R D at gmail.com. And I will send you an invoice with PayPal details. Currently, we only have 23 No Mercy for the Slain copies left. Now, there may be some more buried within all of the other CDs, but I haven't found them yet. But I have found 23. So if you would like a full package of all four CDs, that's No Mercy for the Slain, Love Songs, Lamentations, Lift Thrasher, to hear the trumpets call and hard lemonade, please send us an email and I will get a invoice out to you and ship them out as quickly as possible. Purchase of the CDs will help Hawk and go directly to taking care of the shipping and sending them out. Gifts of the Weird is a podcast that is available at giftsoftheweird.podbean.com and also available on iTunes. Now, if you download from iTunes, please take a moment to leave some feedback. This will help the iTunes search engines be able to locate and place this podcast up with other similar podcasts. With so few heathen and pagan podcasts, this helps out a lot so that uh, folks who are looking for alternative uh, podcasts will be able to find it easier. For an upcoming podcast, we would like to discuss Freya and Frigga, and we want your input. Please send an email to giftsoftheweird at gmail.com with your thoughts. Are they two separate goddesses, or are they one goddess that share the same aspects? Let us know why you think that what your personal gnosis is, what your shared gnosis is, and any references to lore that have helped form your opinion. We'd like to include thoughts from our listeners, and we will, of course, keep your identities private. We'd also like to receive your feedback, so please be sure to send feedback to giftsoftheweird at gmail.com, leave feedback on iTunes, and let us know what you think. Let us know how we're doing, and let us know some topics that you would be interested in having us talk about and work with, potential guests. Uh, If you are a musician, we would love to be able to play heathen-oriented music on our podcast. So please uh, email us and let us know how we're doing and let us know what we can do to be sure that we continue to serve the community. Thank you so much. And now let us return to the rest of the program. Thank you for listening. Hawk, we're going to have to hear the trumpet's call. Take us out. That sounds good. Crank it up. That is a really cool song, and we really thank you for taking your time to be with us, and we're going to look forward to following you. When music comes out, we'd love to play it on this podcast and be able to direct folks to it. Hopefully we can get the word out about your music. Yeah, we hope the road treats you well and that you find a lot of good wherever you go. Thanks for the music. Great, Hawk. Thanks so much, and here we go to hear the trumpet's call.
Richard Kerr against the wall. There is no talk of strength of numbers. No one speaks of strategy. No talk of fear or weakness. Only victory. Occur against the wall. Against the wall.